The message this morning is titled, God is All Wise, and it's part of a series of messages I'm doing on the doctrine of God. We're looking at His attribute of wisdom this morning and how it relates to us and our need of wisdom. In February 24th, 1989, United Airlines Flight 811 took off from Honolulu, two points west toward New Zealand. It's a large aircraft, a heavy aircraft, 747. It climbed through 22,000 feet when the forward cargo door blew off. Some of you older folks will remember that. It was a, uh, a quite a, quite a uh, amazing incident that happened. That cargo door flew off of the front of the plane and went back and took out the, the right two engines. Two engines, debris from the cargo took out the right hand two engines that left the two on the left-hand side of this large aircraft. And it was, uh, had just taken on a, a full load of fuel and was very heavy. And uh, it was about 100 miles back to Honolulu to, to get down again. And uh, in the front of the aircraft was the Captain David Cronin, he brought all of his wisdom and 38 years of piloting experience to bear. 38 years Captain Cronin had been flying. His stickiest problem was deciding how fast to fly because the hull had changed the aerodynamics of the huge craft. The usual data regarding stall speed was no longer relevant. The pilot, knowing this, had to use his best judgment. Furthermore, since the plane had taken on 300,000 pounds of fuel for the long flight. It was too heavy to land without collapsing the landing gear. He encountered another problem on landing. The flaps wouldn't extend, so he had to land a lot faster than normal. But he did. He landed and made a, made a beautiful, soft landing there, I assume, in, in Hawaii. How was this possible? People called it a miracle. How could this man bring this, this huge aircraft down wounded on two engines? It's because of his experience and his wisdom. His long experience. That's what happens when we get a situation in, in flight. It's often the experience level of the crew that determines whether they're going to make it down or not safely. Did they know enough? Did they have enough experience? Did they care enough? Captain Cronin obviously did. Wisdom, his wisdom, the captain's wisdom. Some of you remember the incident of Gracia Burnham not too long ago over in the Philippines. She and her husband were held hostage by the, the guerrillas there. And they were held hostage for a year and a half, more than a year anyway. And then during the rescue attempt, her husband was killed. And she writes later, sometimes I wonder, why did Martin die when everyone else was praying that he wouldn't? Why does Scripture lead us to believe that if you pray a certain way, you'll get what you pray for? People all over the world were praying that we'd both get out alive, but we didn't. Her questions made her realize it isn't always easy to comprehend God's nature. I used to have this concept of what God is like and how life's supposed to be because of that. But in the jungle, I learned I don't know as much about God as I thought I did. I don't have him in a theological box anymore. 
What I do know is that God is God, and I'm not. The world's in a mess because of sin, not God. Some awful things happen to me, may happen to me, but God does what is right, and He makes good out of bad situations. God is all wise. And this morning I want to speak to His attribute of His, his great wisdom. God is all wise. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him and that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Then later in Romans, Romans 16, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. God is all wise. And Romans uses the term only wise. He is far and above any, uh, he has far and above any wisdom that we may have. His wisdom is unsearchable. It's infinite. It's so deep that our minds struggle to understand how desperately we need God's wisdom. And God is willing to share that attribute with us. First of all, I'd like to ask the question, what is wisdom? And believe it or not, it's, it's very hard to define wisdom. I've searched and I went through dictionaries, I went through various places. What is wisdom? It's hard to define. And I came up with a couple of points here. First, wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. So wisdom involves making decisions. It involves doing the right thing based on our knowledge and experience. The second point I have here is wisdom is knowledge that is gained by having many experiences in life. Knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is knowledge coupled with experience. Having experience and knowing how to apply that knowledge. Knowledge plus experience. And that knowledge is gained that experience uh, from our own experience, from our own things that happen to us, or it can be gained from the experiences of others, if we're wise, or from God, God's experience. It is experiential knowledge, it's practical knowledge. A wise person then is one who is knowledgeable and has been around for a long time. We think of a sage, an older person sitting on a porch swing somewhere. He's got to be wise. He knows a lot and he's been around for a long time. Well, God knows everything and he's been around forever. So God's wisdom obviously is superior to anything. Some of you remember Hurricane Katrina. And we just passed the anniversary for Hurricane Katrina I remember we had been down to a reunion in Tennessee and we're on our way home when we realized that Hurricane Katrina had done some really bad things in New Orleans. And the reason there was such loss of life is that the people there didn't evacuate. They decided that they would stay. They did not heed the warnings. And there was a huge loss of life. A lot of... Lot of uh, Bad things happen there in New Orleans, as we well know. People didn't think it was necessary. Less than a month later, when Hurricane Rita roared ashore, 
along the Texas-Louisiana state line, the aftermath of the storm wasn't nearly as disastrous. The main reason, most of the people in the path of the storm had taken a lesson from the first hurricane, and they got out. That is wisdom. Brothers and sisters, that is wisdom. Looking at the experience that happened, not only knowledge, but experience. Galveston, Texas was a ghost town well a full three days before Rita came ashore. People learned. People gained wisdom. God's wisdom is what we want to talk about this morning. Wisdom for making right choices in life. There is a scripture that I've become aware of here recently that is that has become meaningful to me. It's you don't need to turn to it. It's a single verse in Deuteronomy 29. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Choices that we make are based on the things that we know. The secret things belong to God. And often when we ask for wisdom, we want wisdom. We want God to somehow reveal His knowledge, the secret things that He knows, and He doesn't do that for us. Many times He doesn't. Those things belong to God. The future, for instance, that belongs to God. But He will reveal things to us that we need to know. The things that uh, help us to make choices. Those we want to learn. Human wisdom exalts self. Without exception, almost human wisdom uh, exalts humans. And uh, it caters to independence, it caters to pride, and it, it makes people feel like they are in control, and they, they, their ego is stoked, if you will. And that's the reason so many people scoff at the gospel today, is their human wisdom. They feel that they are better, they know better, and they can help themselves. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the message of the cross, God's wisdom is so opposed to that. The message of the cross is a very different message. Um, it tells us that without God's intervention, we are lost. It tells us that uh, our human sin and pride and selfish effort must be crushed and that we need deliverance from God. Being a Christian doesn't answer all the questions of life. There are many non-believers that we rub shoulders with that are very wise in worldly wisdom. You go to a doctor, you will go to the doctor that you want to go to whether they're a Christian or not. We're fortunate to have a couple of Christian doctors in our church. That's beautiful, but you will go to the doctor who's the most knowledgeable. If you go to a mechanic for your car, you'll go to a mechanic who has a good reputation as a very knowledgeable and wise person. And uh, that's fine. But when we want to know about the deep things of life, we don't go to the non-Christian. We, we go to the person who has God's wisdom. Uh, we go to the Bible to, to read about God's plan for us. God's purpose for our lives. You can't form a deep relationship with Almighty God in the short, few short hours of a crisis. We must be about the work of getting to know God who holds all wisdom. And that will only come with a long-term dedicated study of the Word of God. And Solomon, in writing the Proverbs, uh, 
He tackles the subject of finding wisdom and he urged his son to search for it the way a miner would search for silver or the way a man might hunt for hidden treasure. Hours of hard work, sweat and persistence to gain the wisdom that God has given us in His Word. So that when those crises come in our life experience, we have gained that wisdom. And we don't need to be afraid like the psalmist said in Psalm 27 we looked at this morning. We don't need to fear because we have confidence in God. He's got our back. God is all wise. Today I want to look at five reasons that we should buy into God's wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world. And for a text, I want to use uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31. I encourage you to open your Bibles to that text. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Let's stand together, those of you who can comfortably. The rest of you don't feel that you need to, but let's stand together to read this text. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." You may be seated. Okay, let's talk, look at the wisdom of God and why we should buy into God's wisdom. Number one, God's wisdom is preeminent. God's wisdom is preeminent. How does God's wisdom rank relating to the world's wisdom? And I'm here to tell you that it, it is above the world's wisdom. It is preeminent. For the word of the cross, he says in verse 18 of our text, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does the cross represent to us as Christians? It represents suffering. It represents painful death and profound humiliation. And the ancients would have said that that God is... 
powerful and God is above others and that uh, He ranks on top of everything. Everything else is below them. In the cross, the pyramid, if you will, is upside down. The most powerful God appears to be the most powerless when He was crucified on the cross. He accepted that situation where He would be killed for an atonement, for a sacrifice for the whole world. And the cross is opposite from human wisdom, human knowledge. The word of the cross or the message of the cross is foolishness to the worldly wise. And just a word here about the translation here. Um, I used to think and I heard preachers preach that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's not the preaching of the cross that's foolishness. It's the message of the cross. I know preachers look foolish sometimes. And you say, well, it's the preaching. Well, I, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm a preacher and, and the King James would lead us to believe that it's the preaching. It's not the preaching that's foolish. It's the message that's foolish. The translation should be the message of the cross. It is the message of the cross that is, that is uh, the word or the message of the cross that is foolish. It doesn't make sense to people. It's stupid. The word folly there is from the Greek word moriah, from which we get our word moron. And the Greek people would have said, you're morons to preach the cross. We don't like the cross. The cross is foolish. Why should you take on the cross? But the wisdom from God says that we take on the cross. And what makes the message of the cross even more offensive today is that not only did Jesus take on the cross, but we as Christians take on the cross. We take on the cross. We live the way of the cross. We should. We identify with the cross. Makes no sense to the worldly wise. God's wisdom is diametrically opposed to the wisdom of the world. The world says it's foolishness. We say that we follow God's wisdom and that we assume a position of weakness. We assume a message of um, giving of ourselves to follow Christ. So God's wisdom is preeminent, number one. Number two, God's wisdom is powerful, is permanent. I'm sorry, I'm missing one. God's wisdom is permanent. God, God's wisdom is going to be there. It has stood and will stand the test of time. Our text says, verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The question that the Apostle Paul asks here, and I would ask also, is where is the wise man? And Paul is assuming an answer that he has disappeared. The wise man is no longer around. He is not wise. 
He will not be there. His wisdom is fleeting and has no permanence. We use the term conventional wisdom, the wisdom that is in vogue today, the wisdom that may not be accepted tomorrow. Wise men come and go. They are looked up to today. They walk the halls of academe. They have disciples. They are exalted and give places, given places in our textbooks at our universities and graduate schools. They are cited as authorities in their field. Tomorrow their theories are discounted and proven to not even work. What amazes me about these people, they have no shame at all. Their theories have been disproved and they'll stand right up and come up with a new one. I think especially of the creation. We, we, we believe the biblical account of the creation. And you'll have these wise people stand up and say, no, no, we, this is how it all happened. And a little bit later that's been disproved and so they'll just stand up with a new theory. And that will also be disproved. Paul asks several questions. He says, where are all the smart people that have the answers? How much closer to peace is man than he was a century ago or a millennium ago? How much closer are we to eliminating poverty or hunger or ignorance or crime and immorality than men were in Paul's day? How close are we to eliminating racism and bigotry like we saw last weekend in Charlottesville? Have we made progress in these areas? Has the worldly wise shown us how to make progress in these areas? No, they haven't. They're a miserable failure. Their theories are a miserable failure. The worldly wise is no closer to answers, the real answers that make a difference in people's lives. Our advances in knowledge and in technology and communication have advanced us. We are more educated than our forefathers, but we are not more moral. We have more means of helping each other, but we are not less selfish. We have more means of communication, but we do not understand each other any better. We have more psychology and education and more crime and more war. We have not changed except in finding more ways to express and excuse our human nature. Throughout human history, wisdom has never basically changed and has never solved the three basic the basic problems of man. Wisdom. All those lofty people. They come and go. Wisdom comes from experience and it comes from knowledge of the truth. Even children can gain a lot of wisdom. It's not those professors necessarily in college that have that wisdom. Patrick, age 10, asks, never trust a dog to watch your food. Wisdom from a 10-year-old. Michael, age 14, says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer it. Wise man that Michael is, he also said, never tell your mom her diet's not working. Randy, nine years of age, says, stay away from prunes. One has to wonder how poor Randy discovered that bit of wisdom. Lauren, age nine, says, felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. Joel, 10, says, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. And then Eileen, age eight, says, never try to baptize a cat. I assume he was immersing the cat. God's wisdom is permanent. 
It's preeminent, it's permanent. Number three, it's powerful. God's wisdom is powerful. Our text says, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's wisdom is powerful. Even the foolishness of God is stronger or is wiser than men. Those folks who are putting forth their worldly wisdom can't tell you how to get saved. They can't tell you why the marriages are failing. Maybe they could to some degree. They can't tell you how to live a successful, happy life. These are all wisdom, things that the wisdom from God can tell us. And the power that we see God's wisdom have is that, cha- is that that changes people's lives. It's awesome. I still contend that the greatest miracle that has ever happened is the miracle of a changed life. Bigger than raising those who have died a natural death. Bigger than natural healing. Bigger than speaking in other languages. Bigger than walking on water. Bigger than stilling a natural storm of wind and rain. God's wisdom is powerful. The Jews were asking for a sign. They wanted to see a miracle. And the Greeks sought wisdom. They, they, they spent hours. Uh, Paul talks about the Athenians sitting around and talking about wisdom. Talking about new things that were coming along. They were seeking wisdom. The Jews were seeking for a sign of miracles. The power of God is the wisdom of God. Wisdom of God is powerful. God's wisdom is preeminent, it's permanent, it's powerful. Number four, it's paradoxical. God's wisdom is paradoxical. A paradox, I think you all know what it is, but a paradox is something that doesn't make sense. It seems like that the two sides of a situation don't agree. Two opposite things that seem impossible but is actually true or possible. That is what a paradox is. God's wisdom is a paradox. Verse 26 of our text, if you have your Bibles open, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. It seems like a paradox. Why would the simple people, the people who are uneducated, come to Christ when those people who are so wise and so educated and so learned, they will shun Christ? But that's a fact. It's a fact out there. Not many wise, Paul said, not many, not many uh, powerful people, not many people of noble birth had actually come to Christ. And I, I can see the Apostle when he's writing to the Corinthians there, he's going down over their membership list. 
And in his mind, he's looking at James and John and Felix and he's going down over the list and he says, not many of you were wise, worldly wise people. Not many of you were outstanding in your field. You were not those kinds of people. Often those people don't come to Christ. And I think Paul was actually thankful that many of those people were not worldly wise because it seems like it's, it's harder for them to come to Christ. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. A worldly wise person is just less likely to accept the gospel. Because they're blinded to their needs. I remember as a, as a youngster growing up in Belize, we used to go down Saturday, we would catch an early bus and go down to Belize City and pass out tracks. And that was a way that one outreach that we did. We would go down on the sidewalk there in the, in the, in the city and we'd stand there on the sidewalk and pass out tracks. And the, and the Belizeans, I don't know how they are today, but back then, they would accept tracts. I, I don't know what they did with them, but they would accept them. They would accept them easily. But as we're standing there passing out these tracts, there comes an American tourist or a European tourist, and they would, they would refuse the tract. I've heard, had them tell me, I don't need your junk. I don't need it. And that's unfortunately the, the situation with coming to Christ is people who are self-sufficient, who believe that they're wise and they're smart, they don't need Christ. And Paul says, I thank God that not many of you were that way because not many of those kind come to Christ. It's a paradox. But the paradox is this, that as we see our need, as we sense our own inadequacy and we look at God's wisdom, we understand that we need God, don't we? Yes, we do. We begin, that is how a sinner comes to Christ, is through understanding their own ignorance, their own lack of ability, and they come to Christ and, and God is happy to save those who come to Him in that attitude. Finally, God's wisdom is, is purposeful. The wisdom of God is purposeful. The primary purpose of our salvation through God's wisdom is to glorify Him. Now take that from the last few verses of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's wisdom is purposeful. It is there to show that we need him. That we glorify him as we receive his wisdom. God's mercy and wisdom is shown in our lives. And it brings glory to God when we acknowledge Him. You don't need to turn to it, but I want to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter 2. And what I want to convey to you is that the awesomeness of our salvation and the fact that we glorify God because we understand how lost we were and how we needed God and how un unsophisticated we were and how needy we were and still are. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. We are to going to worship God through the, through the endless ages as we understand what a gift we have been given. I'm going to wrap up with just a few practical points. God's wisdom to us. This would be the application of the message this morning. What does God's wisdom mean to us? And we're going quickly because of the sake of time. Number one, it means that we begin with the fear of the Lord. Where does wisdom come from? What do the scriptures say? It begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9 says, is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord. You parents, one of the things that you want to instill in your children, your children want to learn this, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not that we're scared of the Lord necessarily, but we stand in awe of Him. And that we understand how important He is to us. The fear of the Lord and we don't want to offend God. God shares this attribute of His wisdom with us as we fear Him. His opinion is the only one that really matters. God must be number one. Number two, in God's wisdom to us. Obedience lays the foundation for wisdom in our lives. Obedience to God's command is what lays the foundation for wisdom in our lives. Those who are wise will obey God's word, God's law, God's commandments. We will obey them, and that is a wise thing to do. That sets up wisdom in our life. It's a foundation for us. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Wisdom is, for you young man, young lady, is in obedience to God as revealed in His Word. Do you want to be wise? Begin with the fear of God. Follow God's commands in His Word. That's a wise thing. The wisdom is a foundational thing. Number three, spend time in God's revealed will. Spend time in the Word. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. Those things that He has revealed in His Word, we need to spend time there. Number four, godly associations bring godly influence. You walk with the wise, you're going to become wise. That's what the Proverbs writer says. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You want to be wise? Walk with those who are wise. You want to be influenced with God's wisdom? Come to church. Hang out with those who have similar desires and goals that you do rather than those who are very unwise. Finally, let God's wisdom influence your conduct in relationships. James 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and unselfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. God is all wise. And in our doctrine of God, we, we understand that His wisdom is what we need. And it's one of those attributes of God that He can communicate to us and He wants to communicate to us. Some of God's attributes are not communicable, if you will. They don't communicate to us. But God's wisdom is there to communicate to us and to allow us to also make wise choices in life. May God bless you and we're going to call for a song at this time.